So we're going to be wrapping up prayer today, our series on prayer. And the, and the, today, the, the title, I was, you know, we've talked about praise. We've talked about declaration. Of course, we, we finish our prayer with praise. But we also need to understand that sometimes there's, there's a problem when we don't understand why prayers don't get answered the way we want them to be answered. And sometimes we get the answer is just no, right? Or God's going to do it another way. But we should never doubt the power of prayer. And so, and so you know, even in, in, uh, in Matthew's gospel, it talked about Jesus. He said he didn't do many mighty works in a certain city because of their unbelief. Well, unbelief and doubt are two different things. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about that in just a second. But, but uh, you know, we've already seen that we don't have sometimes because we simply don't ask. We don't have because we don't ask. We also saw that Jesus says to ask and we will receive. Right? He said, ask and you're going to receive. He said, keep on asking. You know, don't believe in that theology that says that, well, if you ask one time and if you don't, you know, you don't ask again because you're out of faith. That's not biblical. That's not what Jesus... He said, ask, keep on asking. Knock, keep on knocking. Seek, keep on seeking. Right? It's, it, God said, when you seek me with all of your heart, well, the first time you seek God may not be with all of your heart. Right? So you've got to learn how to do it, do it a little better next time. Um, we also saw that Jesus not only set the example, but he also told his, his disciples they should always pray and not faint or not grow weary. So that's an example for us. We should be always in an attitude of prayer. Is that correct? We should always be in an attitude of prayer, talking to God, you know, just walking, just walking through your job. You can be speaking to God through your spirit, man, and, and you know, praying in, uh, you know, under your breath or under your voice. We also know that prayer is a powerful discipline in the Christian life. A very powerful discipline. We, and we discuss that people sometimes struggle with prayer because they don't understand the power of prayer. You know, if we really believe when Jesus says, ask and you shall receive, then why don't people ask? There's a reason for that, right? If Jesus says, ask and you shall receive, then why don't people ask? In the Bible, in James, it says, sometimes we don't receive because we ask with wrong motivation. So we should ask God to clear our hearts. And we had a lot of that going on this morning. That's what I was sensing. There was a lot of heart clearing going on this morning. A lot of things, you know, that may be little things in our heart that sometimes we're not aware of. It might be hindering our relationship or hindering our prayers. And we also know that, that people struggle because they don't see, as I said a moment ago, they don't see things answered as they, as they should go. And they think they're unanswered or that God's not in the prayer answering business any longer. So, um, so why, is, why is it that we sometimes don't see answers to prayer? And the Bible's very clear. Number one, it's, I just mentioned in James, it says selfish prayers or prayers asked with a wrong motivation go unanswered. We don't have because we ask, don't ask, and when we do ask, we ask with the wrong motives. The wrong motivation. We want to we consume it on our own lust. We're asking for the wrong reasons. We also know that sometimes prayer doesn't get answered because we're praying outside of the will of God. What is the will of God? His word. Doesn't it tell us in 1 John, if we ask anything according to his word, he hears us, and that he answers and gives us what we ask? So we have to know what it, I'm asking for. Is it according to the will of God, to his word? And we should be boldly coming into God's presence. God, you promised us. You promised us healing. You promised us deliverance. You promised us peace. And we said before, we're not, God's not the problem, is he? God's not the problem. We also know that pride and rebellion in the heart of a believer can, can shut off the ears and heart of God from answering. He says he turns away from those that are proud, right? But the humble heart he, he, he responds to. And also just not believing the word of God. Wrong teaching can sometimes 
uh, cause us to not have answered prayer. You know, there are some people that, that believe that God doesn't want to heal. God doesn't want to prosper. So what do they do? They just believe that. And so they don't have the faith to go forward and ask God, well, I don't know if he really wants me to be blessed. Well, he says, I'm, you know, I'm the Lord God who gives you all that you need. He says, what you put your hands to prosper. So we have to believe what God's word says. And there is a big difference between doubt and unbelief. And, and, you know, unbelief is simply a matter of the heart. It's the heart that is turned away from truth. Unbelief is a heart that's turned away from truth. When he says, I'm the Lord God who heals all your diseases. I'm the Lord God who supplies all of your needs. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. See, your heart is turned away from you. I don't even believe God exists. Or I don't even believe that God inter- interacts with, with people. You know, there are those who don't believe that God interacts with, each, with us. They just think he's way out there somewhere. Well, that's a wrong attitude and a wrong image of who God himself has portrayed himself as. So unbelief is a matter of the heart. It's turning away from truth. Where doubt is a matter of the mind. It's questioning the truth of something already believed. So doubt is not unbelief. Doubt is simply questioning what we already believe. For instance, we might say, well, I know God heals, but I don't know that he'll heal me. I know that God prospers, but I'm not sure he's going to prosper me. Or I know that God wants relationship, but I, there must be something in me that he, you know, that's going to push him away. So we doubt what God has said. So doubting is wavering between two opinions. It's back and forth. Will God? Won't God? Could this be true? So doubt is really a lack of faith, and unbelief really is no faith. Doubt is a lack of faith. Unbelief is not believing in the thing. Doubt is believing, it's questioning what you do believe. So in James 1, 6 and 8, it says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will shall receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So it's telling us that a person who's doubting would not think or expect to receive things from the Lord because he's back and forth, back and forth. And we'll talk about that in just a minute in a little more detail. So doubt is a thought that considers a situation unlikely or untrustworthy, especially, listen to this, especially as a result of a logical deliberation. In other words, I, I logically decide something with my brain which is counter to what God's Word says. Therefore, I doubt what God's Word says. He says, I'm the Lord God who heals you. I'm the Lord God who prospers you. Well, I don't know if I really believe that. Because in my mind, it just doesn't make sense. Because I see too many people sick. I see too many people struggling. I see too many this or that. You know, so is God really involved in our lives? So when we doubt God, we actually consider Him untrustworthy. And it's usually based on some logical decision that we have made concerning the nature of God. You know, the intellect sometimes can be a dangerous thing. You know, if we believe something just with our, our minds, intellectually, then it'll be very easy to believe something else when somebody brings another opinion across, right? We see that already. We see that all the time when we're dealing with the media and culture, you know. Whoever, and even Proverbs talks about the person that has the last word really seems to have the pointing until somebody else comes along to counter it, right? You know, for 1,500 years, they thought the earth was flat until somebody came along and proved it wasn't. You know, we have people that believe all kind of crazy stuff today. You, you know, we, there's a lot going on around the coronavirus, and I think we should be just like any other virus, but, but science, scientists tell us that more people will die from the flu than they will from this coronavirus. But see, it's, a big, it's, a, it's just a big thing in the media now. We're, it's, a, it's a spirit of fear that they're trying to sweep through our nation. Now, should we be precautious? Absolutely, you should be precautious like you would any other bug or virus or flu that's going around. 
But we don't want to get all in an uproar about stuff like that, do we? And, and uh, you know, we see this when, we see also that Jesus dealt with doubt when he, when he appeared to his disciples after the resurrection. And this is, I want you, to, I never really thought about this until this week, but listen to this. It says, then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them, among his disciples. The disciples are sitting there, the two from the road to Emmaus are there, and they're talking about this, and all of a sudden, pow, there's Jesus. Beam me up, Scotty, that's what happened. Beam me down. And the disciples are thinking, whoa, we've never seen anything like this before. Can you imagine the, the thoughts that was going on in their minds? Now, they saw Jesus raise people from the dead, but Jesus was dead. Who was going to raise him? You know, <laughs> Jesus raised people from the dead, but who was going to raise Jesus? And so they said, peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? He told them he was coming back, right? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? See, logically, it didn't make sense to them, right? And it says, look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. So Jesus totally, he just totally shook all of their, their, uh, their theology, their, you know, their common sense. He just totally turned it upside down and suddenly here he stands in the midst of them after he had been buried, dead. They saw him dead. They saw him crucified. They saw him beaten. His body was beaten so badly they said it didn't even resemble human form. And there he stood in front of them, totally recognizable. I'm going to give you this definition of doubt again. Doubt is a thought which considers a situation unlikely or untrustworthy as a result of logical deliberation. As a result of logical deliberation. See, I might say, okay, we need $11,000 to fix those projects. Well, I don't know where you're going to get $11,000 because God's Word says He'll provide it. See, intellectually, you might say, well, we're spending everything we have in, in savings to take care of the other two projects, but, but God said He's going to supply our need. See, the day God quits providing for our need is the day we need to close the doors, right? When God quits providing for the need of the church, we need to close the doors. And so I believe God is going to provide. And so, so we often doubt because an answer to our prayer seems illogical. An answer to our prayer seems illogical. Has anybody ever seen just an incredible miracle take place? Well, I know this is what my doctor said. He said this and, and this and all this other. But God says, I'm the Lord God who heals your diseases. That's what we have to hold on to. I'm the Lord God who heals your diseases. When Becky had that brain scan, it showed the, uh, the MRI showed all these lesions on her brain. You know, if she had hung on to that, see, she, if she had pictured her brain looking like that, what she pictured was what God said about her. That she was healed. And you know what? The next time they did a brain scan, they were gone. I don't know what they said. What they say, Becky? Must have been a mistake, huh? Oh, must be her lucky day. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? See, we believe that God can prosper us, but do we doubt that he will prosper us? Well, it's always been this way in my family. My, none of my family's ever made it anyway, so I don't expect him to prosper me. Right? I was thinking about Joanna, and I don't, I don't embarrass Joanna, but she just did her first music video. Isn't that awesome? I'm so excited for that. Let's, yeah, we'll get her to talk about it after it's released this week, right? It's going to be released this week? Tuesday, okay. So we'll, we'll get her to talk about it maybe next time. But see, God, you know, in the natural, somebody might have, and they moved down from Ohio just to put her in a place where God could complete the plans he had for her, her destiny. What, does that make any sense in the natural? No, but 
go. Yeah, get, get, get the microphone. Oh, who has the microphone? Right there beside you. Yes, come on. Say it today. <laughs> and about no, providing. Mm-hmm. Um, funny story. We had so many things going on that week that was like, we had the weather. There was like this freak snowstorm that was coming on. So we had two people back out just like a couple days before we were supposed to be filming. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we can't make it till Sunday. And I was like, we're going to be done filming by then. So we can't do that. <laughs> um, another person had to back out cause they got a job. And the day before we, we didn't have teenagers to play the teens in the video. We, we were praying for favor and we're praying for grace and we're praying for God to basically help God. Yeah. <laughs> We not only got extras for both days, we got all the teens that we needed, like the day before God provided. And not only did he provide these incredible, incredible amounts of people, he also provided like these incredibly talented people. I'm I'm not going to give away too much about the video, but there was a very intense scene with a gun and this 13-year-old boy sitting there, and like it literally brought us to tears. So God not only provided what we needed, but he provided the best. Wow. So it literally looked impossible, but wow. God. Wow. God did can, it Can all. you talk about your movie thing you're doing? Is that? Yes, I don't yes, want to yes, jump yes. ahead so, of anything. <laughs> so, no, you are, you are good, but God is incredible, and he will take the things that you don't expect. Like, I'm not going to lie. Last year was a really slow year for me. Like she said, we moved down here because I got signed with a modeling and talent agency. And it was like, you expect things to start rolling because you're in the right place and you're praying. And last year I got like two things where I was an extra and that's it. And that's really not a good year, especially when you're like, Lord, I, 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 I need, I need this, you know, but this year it was in December. I auditioned for a feature film. Not only was it a feature film, it's a faith based feature yes. film. And I'm so incredibly excited about this, but it was actually the director of this feature film that got on my website and he heard my music and he's like, have you ever thought about doing a music video? And I was like, all the time. Yes. <laughs> yes. So literally within, it was a couple, like maybe two weeks after that, we, we had a meeting and he's like, two weeks from now, February 21st and 22nd. And I'm just like, okay, let's do this. God provided absolutely every single detail that we needed down to, from the beginning to the end, it's going to be released on Tuesday and you're going to, you're going to see it in this video And I'm not saying that because it's my song. I'm not saying it because I'm in it. I'm saying the anointing was on this, this video. And I'll, I'll let you know, the song is called Hope Song. And the entire thing is about hope. There is hope here. And I just want to, I really want to let you guys know that when it looks like you are down to the wire, like I said, we were, it was the day before. And we didn't have what we needed. But the Lord provided. It says he will provide all our needs. And I was like, Lord, I need teenagers. And we got a bunch of teenagers, including the three that were very professional, very good actors that we needed, plus extras for this scene. It was incredible. I'm, I'm saying praise God because he provided even when it was down to the wire. So when it looks like it's not working, when it looks like things are just, Lord, I don't know what to do. I've got like, you know, time's running out. And if I may share this, because I I love Pastor Prince. And he said that Jesus is the Lord of time and space. Even if it's one second till when you need it, 
the provision will be there. Amen. Amen. The provision will be there. So I just, glory to God. And you know, the thing is, in the natural, looking in the natural thing, you're thinking, I don't know what we're going to do. What, maybe we just need to stop this, or maybe we need to put this on hold. But in the, think about but, that at one point. But, but like, see, that maybe, was that was a, that was mm-hmm. a that was a decision that was made based on what you saw, what the facts looked like. But God's word. Yes. If you continue to look at God's going to supply what you need. Right. Especially because we believe that the devil was trying to stop it. Yes. Because yes. he said, he was even talking about, it doesn't really snow like that there. Both times we went up there. First time it was some flurries, but the second time there were like black ice and they're talking about three inches of snow and just all of this stuff that was, I'm like, the devil's trying to stop this. Yes. He doesn't want people yes. to know there's hope. Amen. He doesn't want people to know about all these things. So we're like, we are not letting the devil stop this. We are not going to stop this video. It's going to happen. It's going to be released and we're going to make sure people know Jesus is Lord and Jesus is the one who's going to make this happen. And he did. Awesome. That is so awesome. Give God a hand. You know, and too often we misread things and we might say, well, God must be trying to stop this because you know, really that's the easy way out. Well, God is trying to stop this. No, how about the devil trying to stop it? God could have stopped it all along. He didn't have to wait until the day before to stop something. God, you know, the devil, the devil does not want the word to go forth. He does not want hope in this world. So that's a great, great testimony. Thank you for sharing that. You know, we also can look at our nation. I mean, I've never, in my whole life, I've never been so overwhelmed with the evil that's rampant in our nation. You know, and we didn't just get up one night and it was, and there it was. What happened? Well, it's been happening. It's been slowly coming into our nation over a period of time. But, you know, we can look at that and we can say, well, it just looks like it's impossible. Well, let me tell you, with God, all things are possible. He said when, when the devil comes in or when evil comes in or sin comes in, he says, like a flood, what grace, God's grace is there. And so we have, to, we have to pray. That's why we have to pray as a church. We have to pray as people. We have to pray as individuals. And so don't just pray when you're here at church. And so in Matthew 14, 28 and 31, the other, well, one thing I want to back up here, God showed his grace to his disciples when they were in doubt. Okay, God does not want us to stay in doubt. Don't get condemned. The devil wants you to think, well, if I'm doubting, then God's not going to answer. God stayed with his disciples during this time of doubt. He encouraged them, look, see, he's going to do what he can to prove his point, to prove that who he is, he is who he says that he is. If we go over to Matthew chapter 14, you're familiar with this. And Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Now, that would be a little bit strange, wouldn't it? What if you went out on Lake Norman and you saw somebody just walking across the water? What would you think? You would think that it was some kind of trick, right? You'd think there was some kind of board under this person or there was something going on. But he says, he says, yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over to the side, went over the side of the boat, walked on the water toward Jesus. He was doing great, wasn't he? He said, but when he saw the strong wind in the waves, what happened? His mind started processing. The wind and the waves. And suddenly his, the logic of his mind set in. And so what did he do? He began to sink. And, and he said, save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus, let's see, Jesus didn't say, sorry, Peter, tough luck. What did Jesus do? In the middle of his doubt, he reached out and he grabbed him. In the middle of his doubt, don't let the devil condemn you if you're struggling with what you know you believe. It says, you have so little faith, Jesus said, why did you doubt me? Let me tell you, if some of you are in the midst of doubting now if God is going to answer your prayers, meet that need, he's right there in the middle. He's reaching out his hand. He says, don't doubt me. Don't doubt me. Just quit looking at all the circumstances that are around us. Again, that definition, 
Doubt is a thought which considers a situation unlikely or untrustworthy as a result of a logical deliberation. What logical facts in your mind are countering a promise of God? That you know you believe the word of God. You know you believe God is true. Why have you disqualified yourself to receive what God has said he will do for you? Doubt does not equal unbelief. When we doubt, we, according to James, we waver back and forth under two opinions. Is he going to do it? Is he not going to do it? Do I trust God or do I trust what I know to be true? Do I believe what God's word said? Man, I've been trained and educated in this field. There's no way this can happen in the natural sense. Well, God's not working in the natural, right? So we waver between two opinions. When we doubt, we will seem to be strong until the other influence is present. Peter was doing great. He was walking on the water until what? He saw the wind and the waves. Circumstances caused him to waver. And circumstances, just like, just like Joanna was talking about, the circumstances could have caused them to waver. The snow, the black ice, no people there that they needed. What, but what did they do? They stuck, they stuck to, the, to the goal. They did not allow themselves to look at the circumstances and then to disqualify them, that group, for God's promise to be fulfilled. You've got to ask yourself, what is it that I'm looking at that's causing me to doubt what God's promise says to me? What is it that maybe you're in a bad relationship, a bad marriage. What am I looking at that's causing me to question whether God's going to move in this situation? Or a child. Anybody here, don't have to raise your hand, have unruly children or children that aren't living according to the way you think they should live. Don't look at the circumstances. The Word of God says you and your household will be saved. You pray, you know, great is the peace of my children, and they're all taught of the Lord. You don't look at what you see. You look at what the Word of God says, right? Don't let the circumstances cause you to sink, because in the midst of that, he's got his hand out for you to lift you out. It's an attempt to serve two masters. It's torn between two passions, fear and faith, the seen and the unseen. I want to ask you, who has control of your heart? Who has control of your heart? met with a little guy this week, and he, he wants to follow God, but he's struggling with following the world. And I said, you just love the world more than you love God at this moment. But what you need to do is get it. God wants to grab hold of your heart, and he wants to restore you back to that place that you are that you desire to be. How many people struggle with the influences of the world? And they'll follow the world rather than follow the things of God. Who is on the throne of our heart? Is it the world? Is it education? Is it the political party that you follow? Is it man's way? Or is it God? It's between the seen and the tangible world and the unseen world of faith when we doubt. Also, number four, that when we doubt, we constantly struggle to accomplish goals and plans. We never seem to follow through. They could have quit. They could have stopped. Let me tell you, God, if, if God, God had plenty of opportunity to change that program if he had wanted to, plenty of opportunity to cancel that program, that video. But see, what happens is we begin to look at circumstances. We begin to logically follow our mind. Well, we might as well quit. This is not God. God's not in this because I'm struggling. If you're not struggling, God's not in it. Let me tell you. If you're not struggling, God's not in it. You go back and you read your scripture. I want to read James 1, 7 and 8 out of the Passion Translation. I don't particularly like the other translation, the way it read. It said, don't you think you're going to get anything from God? But this is what the Passion says. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is double-minded. In other words, what is it saying? It's saying, don't think that as long as you're double-minded, you're going to get what you're going after. 
God's not sitting there saying, well, I'm not giving it to you because you're in doubt. No, as long as you're in doubt, we're not going to receive because God only responds to faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord, right? And it also says that we must believe that God is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. You see, there's a lot. God spoke some very personal things to me sitting here a moment ago, and I'm going to take them home and digest them and incubate them and do them, okay? But the thing is that God, God, we have to respond to God according to his word. And if we're walking in faith, if we're in the world, out of the world, questioning this, questioning that, that doesn't mean we don't use common sense, right? That does, like we said, we don't, well, I'm not fearing the coronavirus and I'm not doing anything about it. Well, that's foolishness. Foolishness. We just read last night in our prayer time in, in Proverbs 18, 9, I believe it is, that if we know what to do and we don't do it, we're, it's like committing suicide. If we know how to take care of ourselves and we don't do it, it's like committing suicide, right? God gave us a brain. Let's don't check our brains, okay? Okay, so when we doubt, we lack the conviction in our heart concerning the trustworthiness of God to give us the wisdom and then to provide the spiritual guidance and support that we need. Paul Tillich said, doubt is not the opposite of faith. It's an element of faith. Some people are afraid to question their faith. We, we shouldn't be afraid to question our faith. We should, be, we should know where we stand on certain things. So doubt is not unbelief. It is questioning what you do believe. And, it's, and let me read this again. When we doubt, we lack the conviction in our heart concerning the trustworthiness of God to give us the wisdom and then to provide the spiritual guidance and support we need. Doubt always presupposes belief in something. You can't doubt unless you first believed, okay? I'm not making doubt a hero. I'm just trying to get you to where the devil's not tormenting you and, and condemning you because maybe you're struggling with some things. We can't doubt what is not there first. We are questioning what we believe. That's healthy. Paul said you should see if you're still in the faith, right? When we doubt, we either do not understand God or we call into question his character when we doubt. Psychologist tells us there's two types of thoughts only. There's fear-based thinking, which promotes doubt, and there's faith-based thinking, which promotes confidence and trust. What kind are we? What kind of thoughts do we have? Doubt breeds confusion in our life as well. Doubt will breed confusion. One day we're in this place, the next day we're over here. One day we're trusting God, the next day we're, we're not trusting God at all. So when we're doubting, we're really doubting uh, God, and it may be because we have not yet firmly understood his character, his nature. That's why we spent so much time this uh, first week talking about the names of God. And in Mark eleven twenty three, the first thing Jesus says is, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. You gotta, you've got to do that before you can ever have the faith that we need to move the mountain that needs to be moved. We have to know. And when we doubt, we, under, we, we sometimes question the character of God if we're not familiar. Let me just go back to Deut- Deuteronomy 440. You've got to know the character of God, and you're only going to know him through his names. That's how he reveals himself. Be familiar with his character. Deuteronomy 440. It says, if you obey all the decrees and the commands I am giving you today, all will be well with you and your children. That's a promise, isn't it? He says, I am giving you these instructions so you will enjoy a long life in the land of the Lord your God has given you. So if things aren't going well, we might want to go back and see if we're in obedience to what his word tells us we should be doing. I'm not getting any amens out of here today. Obedience is very important, right? Obedience is very important. So we struggle with believing God's intention. His word clearly says, if you believe this, it's going to go well with you. That's as simple as it can get, right? That's as simple as it can get. You train up your children the way they should go. 
I was talking to a parent this week about their children. I said, well, do you read the Bible when they get up when they go to bed? You read when you go in, you go out, or you're more interested in what's on TV, going to the movies, all these other things that all these parents are indoctrinating their children into. Do we spend time teaching the Word to our children? This is what the Word says, right? It's not my opinion, it's God's opinion. We speak it when we get up, when we go to bed, when they go out, when they come in. Most kids know everything except the Word of God. Most people don't, kids don't know how to speak the language of Judah, as Nehemiah said. Luke 12, 32 says, So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. You think Jesus would lie? You think when he says the father enjoys giving you the kingdom, do you think that's a lie? No. No, not our kingdom, his kingdom, right? What is his kingdom? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, right? His kingdom also includes freedom. Everything that we bind on earth must be bound in heaven. So his kingdom includes what's bound in heaven and what's released in heaven. He says, I came to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. That's God's kingdom. The devil comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. So that's God's kingdom. We understand God's kingdom is a kingdom of prosperity. It's a kingdom of peace. It's a kingdom of righteousness. And it says it gives the God, God the Father great happiness to give us the kingdom. That's God's plan for our life. Psalm 84.11 says... The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly before him. So it's, it's kind of hard to really justify some of our thoughts when we see that we either believe it or we don't believe it, right? So when we're in doubt, we're doubting the word of God. We don't understand God's character, or we don't understand who we are in relationship with him. Many times it's because we ourselves have been so abused and we've taken on the lie and the identity of the enemy that we don't believe what God says about us. You know, and God has told us to obey that it'll go well with us. I, I was just thinking about, you know, our, our car. I, I changed our oil, my oil in my car religiously. <laughs> That's a good word. Because I know as long as I change my oil, rotate my tire, service my transmission, it should go well with me, right? But what if I say, I'm not doing that. That costs too much money, especially now they've got all these synthetic oils. You know, that's, it's no longer this 1995 oil change like they used to have. <laughs> now it's a $129 oil change. But what happens if I just say, I'm not going to do that. I'm never going to, my, my transmission will work. It's okay. Well, that's foolishness, isn't it? Well, it's the same thing. God says, you do what I ask you to do, and it's going to go well with you. But we, we need to learn to interpret the word of God as God has interpreted it for us in relationship to him. You know what I'm saying? We have to interpret the word of God as God has meant for it to be interpreted as we are in relationship with him. And it all depends upon us being in relationship with him. But the incredible thing, and I've got some science stuff. I'm rereading re- a book, um, that I, and I also love Dr. Caroline Leaf. So I want to give you some science that's beginning to catch up with the Word of God. And, and first, uh, this is out of, from Dr. Caroline Leaf. Listen to the, the, importance, the importance of believing the Word of God. I want you to listen to this carefully. The scientific power of our mind is to change the brain. To change the brain is called epigenetics. And spiritually, it is as a man thinks, so is he. That's what science tells us. Now, does that sound familiar? Psalm, uh, Proverbs 23, 7. The way the brain changes as a result of mental activity is scientifically called neuroplasticity. And spiritually, it's called the renewing of the mind. So science says you can change the brain. It's called neuroplasticity. The Bible says you can change the brain, and it's called renewing the mind. Isn't it awesome how God spoke this first? 
Scientists have found that in a loving and nurturing environment, listen to this, I'm going to give you some big words, acetyl epigenetic markers increase on the genes in the hippocampus and keep us calm and peaceful. That's what science has shown. The more acetyl markers, the more these peace genes in the hippocampus express and dampen the stress response. So see, God didn't just say in his word, well, if you keep your mind stayed on me, I'm going to increase the acetyl epigenetic markers in your hippocampus. He didn't say that, right? He just said, (laughs) those who keep their mind on me, right, will be in perfect peace because God knew how he created us. Science is catching up with what God has really said. And, And then also the power of faith and fear. Why do we doubt? We doubt when our head and our heart are out of sync. Our head believes one thing and our heart believes another. The heart always wins. There's a lot of study going on now about the heart. You know the heart is 5, 000, has 5,000 times more power than the brain does? Do you know that? Isn't that incredible? And so science has caught up with the Word of God. In Proverbs 139, it says, Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Let me tell you, this is, I think I gave this to you several years ago, and it's, it's something that's worth repeating again, but there's a thing called a placebo effect and a nocebo effect. Do you remember that? The placebo effect is when we believe something that leads to a positive result, and a nocebo effect is something that leads that we believe that leads to a negative result. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he, right? So in, back in the early 2000s, there was a, a, a case study done with, on the placebo effect. And there were three groups of people that needed knee surgery. Now, that's really sensitive to us at this point that we've been through. Three people in our house, our dog and two of us, have had knee surgery in the last, in the last 10 months. So, that, you know, this is the year of the knee. So anyway, so they did a little, they did a little uh, trial, and what they, they put these people in three groups. Now, they didn't tell either of the groups what they were doing to them, okay? So the first group had, and they all had knee problems. The first group had cartilage shaved off their knee. The second group had their knee just flushed out. And the third group had pretend surgery. Seriously, this is a study. Groups one and two improved, and group three improved to the same degree. And that some in group three had been on canes and were debilitated. One year later, they were playing basketball. They had pretend surgery. You see the power of the mind? I don't recommend doing that, right? This is just a study they were doing. Let me give you another one. In 1997, a lady suffered from 30 years of depression. So they were going to do this placebo test on her. So the doctors described sugar pills. And after a few weeks, she was remarkably better. Even the prefrontal cortex portion of her brain began to show enhanced activity. Beliefs affect our biology. That's the whole point. As a man believes in his heart, so is he. Now, there's another example of a nocebo effect, and this was done several years ago. But a man, and this was not done on purpose, but a man was told that he had esophageal cancer. And the, medical, and the medical community believed and treated him, speaking to him, as if he had a little chance to recover, because that's what they believed. And so they treated him, but a few weeks, weeks later, he died because of the diagnosis. They did an autopsy on him. They found no cancer in his esophagus. They found no cancer in his esophagus, only a couple of spots in his liver, one in his lung, but not enough to cause death. They said he died with cancer, but not of cancer. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So just as powerful as our positive beliefs are, our negative beliefs are the same. Let me go back to a, another research guy, Dr. Bruce Lipton. He's one of my favorites. 
He says, when the mind, through positive suggestions, improves health, it is referred to as a placebo effect. What are we talking? We're talking about believing what the Word of God says. We're talking about choosing to believe this Word. We're not talking about burying our head in the sands, right? He said, conversely, when the same mind is engaged in negative suggestions that can damage health, the negative effects are referred to as a nocebo effect. In medicine, the nocebo effect can be as powerful as the placebo effect, a fact you should keep in mind every time you step into a doctor's office. By their words and their demeanor, physicians can convey hope-deflating messages to their patients, messages that are, I believe, completely unwarranted. Because doctors are taught how to, how to treat a certain way, right? And many of them, if they're not spirit-filled doctors, like our Dr. Birchfield here, they're going, to, they're going to approach medicine only from a natural perspective and not from a spiritual or even a nutritional perspective. I, I told you, and I mentioned this last night in prayer, but I mentioned this several months ago about this article or this thing I had seen on TV, this guy who had his son had epilepsy. And he went through all these treatments, nothing was helping, and finally he did some research of his own in a medical book and found that there was a high percentage of cures and improvement by just switching to a keto diet. When he goes back to the doctor and he says, why didn't you tell me this? He said, because we had not tried all the medicines yet that we wanted to try. Does that make any sense? We, go to, we, we want to treat with drugs. See, we have to take responsibility for our own health. There's a time to treat with drugs. We're not, you know, we're not saying don't do that. But, you know, what if we did the, what if we kept our bodies nutritionally fit before we got sick rather than, you know, trying to come back and, and fix it after the fact? I remember uh, some, you, you all, probably most of you all remember this, especially older ones, the Y2K effect. Does anybody remember the Y2K effect? Does anybody remember how paranoid everybody was? I remember uh, that we had a friend who was a dentist in Charlotte, and he sold his practice, moved to Monroe, bought land, opened a practice out there because he wanted to have a pond where he could have, make sure he had plenty of water. And I, I met his wife one day. We were, we were just in and out. It was just a week or so before January 1, and I, said, and, you know, I thought, what are you doing? He said, well, he really believes this. He said, what are you doing? I said, nothing. I don't believe any of it. I just don't believe come January 1, 1201, all, all electricity, all computers are going to die. I mean, it made no sense to me, right? And besides, but it wasn't even that. God wasn't telling us to do anything. God was not telling us to do anything. So we've seen that happen. In 2009, do you remember when the swine, swine flu was going to kill everybody? Remember that? Swine flu. And here again, we take precautions, right? We, we, do, we use wisdom. But everybody's going to die from the swine flu. 2013, North Korea was going to kill everybody. And then in, today, it's the coronavirus that's going to kill everyone. We need to use our heads and our hearts, and we need to be seeking God on some of these things and see what God is telling us. I don't think God ever intends for us to live in fear. See, I remember a scripture that says, no evil, no plague is going to come nigh my dwelling. Are we saying that? Or are we saying, oh, my God, I'm going to die. I can't do anything. I've got to stay inside. I can never go anything. Stop what we're doing. We might get the coronavirus, Right? Well, that's foolishness. We, we use wisdom. We use wisdom. We wash our hands. We do what we need to do, right? But let's, let's don't walk and live in fear. Dr. Caroline Leaf says 75 to 95% of illnesses that plague us today are a direct result of our thought life. 75 to 95% of illnesses that plague us are a direct result of our thought life. 
You ever wonder how long somebody thought they were sick before they got sick? Well, I'm going to have a heart attack because my daddy had a heart attack. Well, you might have a heart attack because you're eating junk, French fries and onion rings and everything else. That might be why you have a heart attack. Maybe your daddy ate those too, fried pork and all the other stuff. Dr. Bruce Lipton says 95% of all diseases are stress-related, which is directly related to our thoughts. He says, if you keep your mind on me, I'll keep you in perfect peace. And 5% are actually genetics. Dr. Caroline Lee says that thoughts occupy mental real estate and our thoughts literally shape our brain. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We can actually reprogram our brain by changing the way we think. Is that not what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is all about? Dr. Alexander Lloyd says the strongest program we receive happens between 0 and 7. We've talked about that. that It's that program that's working in the background of our life, that subconscious mind, that program that we receive. Our mind is absorbing every word, every experience, every image, and the program will remain forever unless we learn to reprogram it. Pretty powerful, isn't it? Listen to this, the power of prayer. The power of prayer. This is by um, Dr. Waldman and um, D. Radin. How God Changes Our Brain. That's a book I'm reading. It's awesome. You should read it. It's been found that, listen to this, prayer. We're talking about prayer. Twelve minutes of daily prayer, daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. Is that not powerful? Is it any wonder that Jesus said we should always pray? Eight minutes of focused prayer over an eight-week period will change your brain to where it can actually be measured on a brain scan. The type of prayer seems to increase, this type of prayer seems to increase activity in brain areas associated with social interaction, compassion, and sensitivity to others. It also increases frontal lobe activity as focus and intentionality increase. As well as changing the brain, another study implies that intentional prayer can even change physical matter. That's weird, right? Now, that's out there. It says researchers found that intentional thought for 30 seconds affected laser light. Now, that's out there. But that's what the Word of God says. That's what the Word of God says. How do you know that? I'm going to prove it to you right here. It is Romans 12, 1 and 2, or 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. The word conform means to shape one's behavior. Do not shape your behavior and your cut to the customs of this world, but be transformed. That word transform means to change the physical appearance of something, to renew the mind. So we can be conformed. We're not to be conformed to the world, but we're to be transformed what? According to this word. If you obey the word, things will go well with you. You want to know how to win friends and influence people? Read the Bible. You want to know how to make your way successful? Read the Bible. You want a witty idea? Read the Bible. You want God's favor? Read the Bible. Right? That's what his word says. You can't look at what you see. You look at what the word says. We don't walk by what we see. In the NLT, it says, Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Isn't that incredible? We change, we're going to change our life by changing the way that we think. How many of you still think like you did when you got born again? Anybody? If you did, you didn't get born again. Real simple. Mark eleven twenty two. this is when I was talking about a moment ago. 
It says, And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it. It will be yours. Let me tell you about the heart. I mentioned it a moment ago, scientists now say that the heart is really a mini brain. Do you know there's over 40,000 neurons in the heart? And these neurons are communicating with your brain. It sends messages to your brain. And that the, the, the heart, man, I'm talking about the heart that's pumping blood, has 5,000 times more electromagnetic power than the brain. That's why you can walk into a room and you can sense a person's heart. And you say, ooh, I don't like that spirit that's coming off of them. It's coming off their heart. It's coming off. Have you ever done that before? Or you can walk and you can walk into a place and you say, that's a believer because you, you, you experience what's the, that spirit that's coming off of their heart and off their lives. It's not what's coming out of their head. It's when our intellectual brain and our heart brain are in agreement that faith is present. Jesus said it right here. He says, whatever you ask, no, excuse me, let me back up. Be, he says, when you're talking to the mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not, doubt, does not doubt in his heart, but believe what he says. That's coming out of the brain. And in, in his heart, he says, it's going to be done for you. See, intellectual belief is not enough. You have to believe it in your heart. Your heart has to grab hold of this word. This, the, that's why David said, I hide the word where? Not in my brain, in my heart. I hide the word of God in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's a heart issue. Philippians 4 and 8 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Let's stand, if you will. So how is it that we get the word from our brain to our heart? You know, I know exactly how. I want to tell you. Listen to me carefully. Joshua 1.8 You meditate on the word day and night. You meditate with your brain. It's deposited into your heart. He says, then you're going to make your way prosperous. Then you're going to make your way successful. You med- as you meditate on the word. Well, most now Christians, most pastors don't even believe the word. But you meditate on the word. You, let, you pour into it. You, you pray over it. You praise the word. You praise God who is the word. See, when God says that I'm going to heal your diseases. Do you meditate on that word? God's my healer. And you trust God. When God says, I'm going to supply your need, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I'm going to meditate because your word promises me. God, I need an answer. What I put my hands to will prosper. God's word promises that. My children are going to be right. You say, what's coming out of our mouth? That's what we have, that's what we have to be careful about because what's in the heart will come out of the mouth. And so if we're negating the word of God, we don't, really don't have the word of God in our heart. Let's quit calling this stuff my disease, my cancer, my heart disease, my diabetes, my this and my that. My unruly children. No, my children are taught of the Lord. Do I want to slap them every once in a while? Yes. But I still say they're taught of the Lord, right? They're taught of the Lord. Exactly. So what's coming out of our... We have to have coming out of our mouth what's in agreement, and it will what's in agreement with our heart, but is in agreement with the Word. We meditate on the Word... It gets transported to our heart. What's in our heart will transform us. We renew our mind in the things of God. It renews our heart. And we walk in obedience to what God has said.